RPO Podcast. We are the apex of football media, sponsored as always by Inside the Hashes Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Roberts. Joining me is fellow analysts Alan Hollowell and Ray Roberts. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at MadStork44, and you can also follow Alan at Alan P. Hollowell. If you've been listening the last few weeks, you know we just finished up our Ultimate Teams for College Football. But now the next subject. We are here to find out who is the absolute best football player in all of college football. And this week is going to begin our quest. If you're familiar with March Madness, this is going to be pretty similar to it, okay? So how we're going to go is we're going to go alphabetically by conference. Naturally, we're going to start with the ACC Conference, Atlantic Coast Conference. So we have taken eight players that we consider to be the top of the ACC class, and we're going to match them up. It's going to be just like the bracket in college basketball. So it's going to be one verse eight, two verse seven, three verse six, and so on. And then we'll get to the next round. So it's literally going to be an elite eight of the bracket. Without any further ado, because I am incredibly excited about doing this. So we're going to start it off from the top. Number one seed for our tournament is going to be Cleland Farrell, who is a defensive end from the University of Clemson, facing off with fellow defensive end from Boston College, Zach Allen. Naturally, Zach Allen, I'm going to start with Allen. In the battle of the defensive ends, who is the winner coming out on top, Cleveland Farrell or Zach Allen? I'm going to go with Zach Allen, uh, tackling machine, true defensive end from Boston College. Probably hurts that, you know, that I saw the Alabama film versus Clemson in, in, the, national, in, the, in the college football playoffs. So I'm going to go with the big guy, uh, Zach Allen from Boston College. Alan, for you, what do you think really separates Zach Allen from Cleveland Farrell? What does it for you? I think Zach Allen is just a football player. He may not be the most flashiest or the most hype, but he has got it done at a very high level, and no one can really keep up with his numbers that he's produced so far. Those numbers are quite astounding. Over 100 tackles last year as a strong side defensive end. Ray, I'm going to kick it to you. I want to hear this. This should be a very interesting one. Remember, Zach Allen is the number eight seed going up against the number one seed, Cleveland Farrell, who very well could be the first edge defender off the board next year. Zach Allen or Cleveland Farrell? I would take Zach Allen, too. Going by our draft that we had you know, a few about a month or so ago, I took him on my fantasy team or my ultimate team, and Cleveland Farrell will probably get a little more pressure on the quarterback. But I think that if you talk about an edge defender, you're talking about Zach Allen. He is the ultimate guy. He shuts down the run from every angle. He can get outside. He can get to the quarterback. It's not necessarily what his game is, but he is a, the ultimate edge defender as a strong side defensive end. Well, Ray, fortunate enough for you and Allen, you don't have to hear me speak about anything since it has been decided. We have Zach Allen moving on to the Final Four. And that is quite an upset to start our show. I would just like to say that, for me, I would have taken Cleveland Farrell. I think that the upside is higher. I feel like he is a dominant pass rusher, great run defender as well. He can affect the game in different ways that Zach Allen can't. I think Zach Allen is a little one-dimensional. Not that that's a bad thing because the one dimension he does is incredible. But defensive ends are paid to get sacks. That's what Cleveland Farrell brings to the game. With that said, Zach Allen, big upset, moving on to the final four of our ACC bracket. With that, we're going to take a look at our second matchup of both Miami players. We have Jaquan Johnson, who's a safety for the University of Miami, and Michael Jackson, who's the cornerback. 
I'm going to start with my Dolphins fan on the board. I'm sure he's seen a lot of both these guys. So, Ray, Michael Jackson or Jaquan Johnson, who's your guy? You know how I feel about um, guys out on an island by themselves. I always take a safety over a corner, Uh, especially a guy like Jaquan Johnson who can just – he's a turnover machine. He can play He can play in pass coverage. He can get to the quarterback if you want him to. He can uh, come up and play at the run, and he's the guy I would take. I mean, I like Michael Jackson a lot. He's a very good, you know, corner. I think as a press corner, he could be a really, really good player. But I, I just like them guys that can cover, do everything all over the field, and that's why I would take Johnson. He's also a once-in-a-lifetime singer as well. <laughs> I'm going to go next, and I am actually going to – take Michael Jackson in this one. I'm a huge fan of Jaquan Johnson, but I want to leave it up to Alan to decide this one, so I'm going to leave it a little interesting. So, Alan, I'm not going to talk too much about it. I want to hear your deciding pick on Jaquan Johnson versus Michael Jackson. Oh, I am going Michael Jackson all the way, a big 6'2 corner uh, that can run like the wind. It's been very effective um, in Miami's man-to-man scheme there. He's done a great job. Michael Jackson would easily win that one in my, my book. Well, that means that we have two upsets to start the show. We have Zach Allen, who has already moved on against Cleveland Farrell, and we have Michael Jackson over his fellow <laughs> Hurricane, Jaquan Johnson. Bracket busters. Bracket busters. It is busted already. This is going to lead us to the next matchup, which might be my favorite one. We've been talking all offseason about these two guys from Clemson, Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins. Different players, but both incredible in their own right, and they are facing off the number three seed Christian Wilkins versus Dexter Lawrence. And I'm so excited about this, I'm going to start it off. I'm taking Dexter Lawrence. He's a lower seed to me. I do love Christian Wilkins. I think Christian Wilkins gives you more as a pass rusher, but I think if Dexter Lawrence has that higher upside, that when he hits it, he will be a more dominant football player than Christian Wilkins. Alan, I'm hearing some oohs over there, so let me hear what you got to say. Oh, I'm going to go Christian Wilkins just because of his versatility. You are right. Dexter Lawrence was the number two recruit, I believe, in the nation in 2016, but Christian Wilkins, 10 sacks, 43 quarterbacks pressured, first-team All-American, can play 3-4 defensive end, can play 4-3 defensive tackle. He would be my pick there. And I'm kind of interested in that, Alan. What what defense do you think will be the best for Christian Wilkins? Do you think he's a three-tech and a 4-3, or do you think he's just, he's one of those five-techs in a 3-4 defense? Probably a five-tech and a 3-4. Uh, but his pass brush ability show that he would be just fine in a 4-3 as well. He could handle some Mitch matches there. But he's they have him booked at 300, but I, I think that's on a skinny day. <laughs> Well, that means that we have one vote apiece, Dexter and Christian. Ray, it is our third part of the bracket in a row that is going to come down to a deciding pick. Christian Wilkins or Dexter Lawrence, who you got? This may be the toughest one for me, to be honest with you, because both of these kids are really good players. I think, like Alan said, I think Christian Wilkins would be better playing as, as a, in a three-tech, as an outside defensive end in a 3-4. But I think if Dexter Lawrence plays defensive, like nose tackle in a 3 4, he'll be a more dominant player in there. Mm-hmm. So I may just, I may go with Dexter Lawrence. I think I'm going to go with Dexter Lawrence. Wow. Well, I can say that some fans are not the biggest fans of us right now because we have picked three straight upsets. 
and we've eliminated already. Listen to this. We eliminate three players that are probably going to be in the first round next year. We eliminate Cleveland Farrell, Jaquan Johnson, and Christian Wilkins all in the first round. That I, is... I really think that it depends on if you need a nose tackle or you need a guy that can play in maybe both types of defense, that's really hard. I think Dexter Lawrence could play in either defense. I think Christian Wilkins would probably play in a 4-3 if you had to. You know what I mean? So... I don't know. I just like Dexter Lawrence better. I like, again, I like guys that dominate on the inside and get, you know, make, create pressure from the middle of the field. Well, I would say our four versus five matchup is the first one that's going to include an offensive player. There's a lot of defense in the ACC, apparently. The number four seat is going to be, again, from Miami. He's the linebacker, Shaq Quarterman. I know that Allen has been a big fan of his boy Shaq through this offseason. And we have him facing off against the only offensive player in our ACC bracket. That is Mitch Hyatt, the offensive tackle from Clemson. Allen, is Shaq went out for you? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Shaqzilla right here. Um, again, one of the the first middle linebacker to start as a freshman in, at Miami for about 15 years now. Just a, a heck of a middle linebacker. Not overly athletic, which really surprises me from his film. Just a, a, a big, smart guy in the middle with great instincts. And I just see him being a, uh, a stud there in the middle for most any team you'd want to put together. So I'm going to go with Shaq. Miami's had a huge run on middle linebackers. I mean, obviously Ray Lewis, John Beeson, Dan Morgan for a couple years. How do you think he stacks it up in that type of class? I think he's around Dan Morgan, maybe a little below him. Some, somewhere around the Dan Morgan. He's definitely not Ray Lewis or Jonathan Vilma. Can't run like either one. Probably a, just a little bit uh, a step slow here and there. His change of direction speed is, is nowhere close to theirs. So I'd say he's at the bottom of the list. Ray, Mitch Hyatt or Shaq Waterman? I would like to say before you answer your pick, Mitch Hyde has started every game in his entire Clemson career at left tackle. He was a top prospect, and he is not disappointed being an All-American selection. So you can't really go wrong either way. It's either you're taking the next bloodline of the middle linebacker at the University of Miami, or you're taking a kid that's going to be a four-year starter and All-American left tackle. So who's your pick? Who, who, who do I take? Do I, I'm, I'm going to take Hyatt only because, because of two different reasons. For one... I think Quarterman may only wind up being a two-down linebacker, possibly. Where I think if you put you take Mitch Hyatt, you play him, play him at tackle for the next ten years. Left tackle or right? He would be a great right tackle, but you, I think he has good enough feet where you could develop into a solid, very solid left tackle. Yeah, he's he's a pretty athletic basketball player from some of his films. I think he'll be fine playing left. Yeah. Well, this is my deciding pick, though, and I'm actually going to go with Shaq. I couldn't let every single pick be an upset in this first round of the bracket, so I'm picking Shaq <laughs> Quarterman to move on to the second round of our ACC bracket. And we're not going to wait long here because we're going to go right to the second round to our final four. Our next matchup is going to be number eight seed, Zach Allen, who upset a Cleveland Farrell in the first round <laughs> against number four seed, Shaq Quarterman, who we just got voting for. I'm actually going to start this one. I'm not gonna. Go, I'm not gonna let you guys. I know you guys have this big, you know, affiliation with Zach Allen. I guess he's paying you off to be up on this list. 
So I'm not taking Zach. I'm not doing it. Shaq is my pick. I understand what Zach Allen again brings to the table, but I can't let a number eight seed get hit any further than this right now, okay? This isn't Wichita State. This isn't George Mason. We're talking Miami, and we're talking Shaq Waterman. Ray, who do you have? Well, I'm taking Boston College, and I'm, and I'm talking Zach Allen. And that's, you know, I – you guys underestimate how – I well, I know you don't uh, – underestimate is a bad word. You don't realize how good of a player this is, man. He, you play him at left end for the next five or ten years. He's a dominant edge player. You can't run against him. He'll get to the quarterback. You move him in the, in the defensive tackle on third downs, he's the best player on your team maybe. I don't question him. I question the facts because I think he's going to be a good football player no matter where your team finally ends up putting him. I don't think that he's going to play on the edge in the NFL. I think some team's going to either draft him to be a 3-4 defensive end or he's going to move inside to 3-tech full-time. I don't think he's a defensive end. I don't completely disagree with that, but I still think as a, as a guy who can get to the quarterback and be a dominant run player, I'll take him over a guy that's a part-time middle linebacker. Allen, can we end this travesty of having Zach Allen on this list still? Can we, can we end it? Can, can Shaq go move on? What do you say? Well, you know I'm a loyal guy, and Shaq is on my ultimate college football team. But Zach Allen is the man. He's going to the final two. Zach Allen beats Shaq Quarterman. <sighs> Allen, same question to you is, Ray, what position does Zach Allen play in, in the NFL? I think he's going to probably play third down nickel packages. He goes to three-tech defensive tackle. I think a first and second down, he's probably a D-end. Reminds me a little bit of Jared Allen, just bigger. You know, kind of plays with the same motor. I think he's going to be one of those guys that play eight to ten years in the league and surprises a lot of people. You don't understand. When you took my guy, Jock Johnson, out of this thing, you made Zach Allen my second best player. <laughs> you know what I don't understand? I, I don't understand the Zach Allen thing. I don't. I mean, I, I feel like I just keep harping on it. <laughs> so you don't like intelligent, smart, competitive, fiery talented football players no i don't like unathletic edge players that's what i don't like <laughs> we're not we're not pre- we're not even projecting with these picks we are grading these kids on what they are right now right now at right, right now, now he had over 100 tackles at left end all right well let me ask you a question since we're arguing now okay who is a better football player harold landry or zach allen wow zach allen whoa really really yes yeah, they better? are they are not too thrilled right now i think from out of camp from what I hear out of Harold Landry. Why is that? No speed to power. Hmm. Okay, I could see that. I could see that. But I, I feel like his hand usage and his bend around the edge was good enough to not have that speed to power. He's not really that type of player. Yeah, but in the NFL, the tackles are athletic enough to get out to him. He's going to have some sacks. I just, I think, you know, they were hoping he would be a Vaughn Miller type. And Vaughn can bull rush her straight down the middle if he wants to. Oh yeah, he definitely can. And put you on his, um, put you on your back. Right now, he cannot. But I think Mike Vrabel is a coach, and if he gets a little stronger, good coach to work with, I think he could be better down the line. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Zach Allen is moving on to the championship greatest, game. Greatest player of all time. Yeah, this could be a big upset. If, he, <laughs> if Zach Allen comes out representing the ACC bracket. You know he won't even beat the eighth seed in the in the SEC. You know that I respect Boston College as a university, but I don't like them. So for me to like this guy that much, he must be pretty good. <laughs> yes. Okay. Anyway, moving on. All right. All right. 
So our second Final Four matchup is going to be Michael Jackson, the cornerback from the University of Miami, versus big 6'4", 340-pound Dexter Lawrence from Clemson. Ray, I'm going to let you start this one. Do you have the shutdown man from Miami, or do you have the big nose guard from Clemson? This is really difficult because I like really like both of these guys. Um, I guess I like Michael Jackson a little bit better as a talent, so I'll take Michael Jackson. Wow. All right. Can I alert the media real quick? Ray just picked a corner over a defensive tackle. What is – what – Wait, wait, wait. Okay. So hey, you, just, you need to check wait, his blood sugar. What is going on, Alan? Hey, corner. He just, he, just, he just pitched me for five minutes on an unathletic edge player, and then he drifted a corner over a D-tackle. What is going on right now? I think he's got diabetes. Let's <laughs> hope not. It runs in the family, so, you know. Um, no, I think that Michael Jackson is a good enough football player where he could be a, a starting cornerback for 10 years and maybe even move him inside after that and maybe play another 12, 14 years. Nexter Lawrence is a good player. He's going to play eight years as a nose tackle when he's done. All right. Allen, is it unanimous or is it going to go to my decision? What do you say? Well, Michael Jackson is one of the better corners in a weak corner class. He is a nice prospect, big corner. Plays. I mean, shoot, you play corner at Miami, you're doing something. But Dexter Lawrence, number two recruit in the nation 2016, and all he did was show out was a second-team All-American as a true sophomore playing defensive tackle. ACC Freshman of the Year in 2016, first-team All-ACC. Dexter Lawrence is a man-child inside. I think he kind of makes some of the other defensive players on the on the D-line at Clemson look a little bit better than maybe maybe look make them look a little bit more dominant than what they actually would be at other schools, having a big war daddy inside. So I'm going to go Dexter Lawrence. And I'm going with Allen on this one. I'm going Dexter Lawrence as well. I'm I'm buying the potential here. Well, I think Michael Jackson may be a better player at this moment. I think Dexter Lawrence's potential is unmatched in this matchup. I disagree with that, but I mean I do agree with everything Larry. I mean I'm sorry, Allen just said about Dexter Lawrence, except for he winning him out in the last round. So you know. <laughs> hey, a lot, lot can change. Oh yeah, I, I see that. Well, this is going to leave an interesting debate for our championship game here, though, because we have everyone's favorite, Zach Allen, number eight seed, the ultimate underdog, versus our number six seed, Dexter Lawrence. Let's take a step back and just talk about these couple guys, what they really bring to the table. Zach Allen, 6'5", 285-pound defensive end in a four-man front. NFL-wise, might move inside a little bit to a 3-4 end or even a 3-tech. And then we have Dexter Lawrence, 6'4", 340 pounds. He was a top recruit, dominant freshman year. Took a slight step back as a sophomore, but that's, eh, it's an overcrowded defensive line. There's only, only so many sacks and TFLs to go around. I am going to let Allen start on this one. It's the battle of the upsets here, okay? I don't know what's hap- going to happen here, Allen, but we have two, I, two underdogs. I have too much pressure on me right now. I'm going to have to defer to Ray. Because <laughs> my heart saying Zach Allen, my mind saying Dexter Lawrence. All right, well let's re- let restart then. Well, you know who I'm going to pick. All right. <laughs> I mean, I I hate to do it. Like I said, I really think that out of these eight players, that Jaquan Johnson is the best player here. But you're going to force me to take Zach Allen. 
Well, I'm also going to force something here because I'm taking Dexter Lawrence. So I'm going to force Allen to make this decision. He is going to pick our ACC representative for the quest to find the best football player in all of college football. So, Allen, Dexter Lawrence, one vote apiece. Zach Allen, one vote apiece. Who is your pick, my friend? Ray, in the early 2000s, there was a tight end at the University of Tennessee named Jason Witten that was very, very productive, uh, wasn't overhyped. I look at Dexter Lawrence here. He's been a very good player in, inside in the middle, big physical guy. But I'm going to go with productivity. Zach Allen takes the cake, <laughs> takes the party, takes it all. Zach Allen, Boston <sighs> College. Alan, you can't see me right now, but I'm rolling my eyes and putting my head down. Uh, all right. Zach Allen's our ACC representative, so when he faces off against the SEC, he can lose to the eighth seed there. Awesome. Awesome. And Love it. No one thought that, <laughs> that, 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 that Witten wasn't going to be a good player, man. Uh, no, he got, he got passed up to the third round. I was just making an example of how he's productive, just like Zach Allen. It's on the other side of the ball. I got you. All right. Well, unfortunately for me, fortunate for people listening, I guess they just saw the number eight seed win the entire tournament for the ACC class, beating the likes of Cleveland Farrell, Jaquan Johnson, Christian <laughs> Wilkins, Shaq Quarterman, Mitch Hyatt. I yeah, just, I just did that to, to get under your skin. You know that if you look at all seven players in front of them, they could all be first-round picks. At least, at least second round. Most is it too late to change my pick? No, it's already in the book. I already, I already circled it with pen. It's over. Oh. If it was a pencil, I would give you a shot, but nope, nothing. It's over. All right, so let's move on to some rule changes here. Okay, <laughs> next week for the fans, please tune in because we're going to be talking Big Ten football. And for anybody that knows me and Ray, you know we live up north a little bit. So this is our neck of the woods. We're going to teach Alan a little something about Big Ten football next week, but. We're going to talk a couple of rule changes that we wanted to get to last week, but we kind of ran out of time. So the first one, the big rule change, is the red shirt rule. In years past, there was like a pitch count for how much a guy could play, and then he would have to declare an injury, and then it would have to be, you know, it'd have to be verified, and there, it was just a big rule. You know, it was a big deal to red shirt. Most guys first year on campus do do it, though, unless you're special. The rule now is a player is allowed to play in four games and still regain that red shirt season. So you could play in four games, any four games all season, and you you can keep that year. You don't lose it, which is interesting. I find it really interesting because I want to see how some coaches space out those games. If some guys just want to give them a little taste and put them into uh, just the, against the scrubs so that they're kind of blown out at home or whatever or if they want to be strategic with it and save them for the biggest moments, save them for when some legs are dead near the end of the season. So, Alan, you being a former college football coach, what, are, what is your idea on this rule? What do you think? What's, what stands out to you with the redshirt rule? I think where it will be positive is maybe smaller college football players that are redshirting at a university and, and kind of wonder, what am I doing this for? You know, they don't have all the fans around. They don't have the media they don't have free protein shakes out there every time they lift and so on and so such forth. Taj Mahal's to hang out in. Maybe it helps those kids stay in the game, not leave the game, you know, having those four games of experience and keep them hungry. I really 
don't know why a major college football program would need to play a kid they're playing on red shirt in a, three to four football games. It makes no sense of why you would have a red shirt. I'm dumbfounded why why they why they pass this rule of all rules, things to change in the NCAA, and I just I kind of think it's uh, kind of a poor decision. Well, what if let me give you a a little example here. What if you're a team that has a senior quarterback? who, you know, you might be a decent team, but you're not quite to that championship level, and you have this stud freshman who's going to take over next year as a redshirt freshman. Does that change your mind at all? Do you mind giving that guy some mop-up duty or at least, you know, maybe a late start in the year just to get him ready for the next season? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's good there. I'm just – I think I'm kind of a traditional. It's like if you're going to have a redshirt, the reason you're red, you're sitting out. You're sitting out of the games. And here – you're what are most college football programs play 10 games? They're almost getting to play in half the games and still redshirting. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's almost like, well, then by the time they graduate, they're, they're going to summer school. They're graduating in three and a half years and they're transferring to another program. I don't know. It's just not the smartest. I don't I just don't think it's the best best rule. Ray, what do you think on the rule? I don't like it at all. I don't I don't really see a reason for it. I mean, like, what's the reason for it? Like, you know, if, if a guy's. You know, if he's good enough to play, I mean, then then uh, I could see you letting him play at the end of the year, maybe just to get his feet wet. I mean, but what good is that going to do him? What happens if he makes a mistake to cost you a game? Well, here's another example for you. You have a stud, let's say, tight end who is an All-American. He's a great football player. He goes down with three games left in the season. You have a great young freshman who at that point now is ready to take kind of some reps from him. And you can still regain a redshirt year. So you didn't waste a year and he fills in and he might do a better job than who the natural second stringer is. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing you think like, okay, well maybe this kid is so good. He'll sit on our bench. He'll learn our system. He'll learn this. We can bring him in during the end of the season. Maybe he can actually help us win a game. You're going to let him play in a bowl game. Is that, does that, who determines what four games he plays in? It's just four games in general. There's I no hate the role then. I, I, I would maybe understand if it was one game. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you get a game versus, say, if you're a player at the University of Georgia and you maybe your one game is you get some time versus Slippery Rock, your, your money game, so to speak, or maybe you don't. Maybe you wait till a bowl game, which is almost your basically your sophomore year, and, and, and that's when you get your game because it's almost another season once you get the bowl, bowl mania. But I just don't understand the four, four games. Very, very odd. I actually really kind of like it from a college football fan perspective. I, I follow high school football. I know who the top recruits are. And specifically, if it's my team in general, I would love to see what my future is for the program. I would love to see a kid come in, you know, mop up duty against Boston College. And, I mean, we saw it with Brandon Wimbush a couple of years ago, even though Wimbush didn't have a great year this year. We saw the potential there against UMass with his 60-yard touchdown run or whatnot. That gave us a little bit of hope for the future. And I think that as a – college football fan it's refreshing to see some of your freshmen and know that you didn't lose a year with them you know you just saw you saw a glimpse of what the future holds but you didn't lose the the entire journey with them so i think that alan's point is a good one let him play when he's playing close to home a game or two you know what i mean let him play where he has a lot of friends there four games is just a weird number I mean, it's less than half the season, and I'm not disagreeing with you. It's They have the decision on what four games that is. They can choose to pick when that is. I really think that either should be more, like let them play half the season, 
or let him play again. Last two games of the season, maybe he goes on the field and plays when he's playing close to home or has some family in the stands. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But to give him, you got four games. Again, how about if his, this kid is really a stud, like a, and you're just dying to get him on the field, and then you're going to let him play like the last game of the season in the bowl, then whatever play, bowl games he plays in? Well, that, that kind of kid doesn't matter in this subject, though, because if a kid is that good where he needs to play, he's going to be on the field the whole year, and they're not going to worry about a redshirt year because most likely he's not going to be around <laughs> in four or five years anyway. So You're right about that, probably. All right, well, for all college football fans, we know that there was another big rule that got passed. This is the transfer rule. So in years past, if a kid, let's say, transferred from Alabama – or wanted to transfer from Alabama, he had to basically get approved to go to another SEC school, another school in conference. The rule is now that there is no negation of transfers. A kid can choose to transfer in conference or to any team that he wants to. So a kid from Alabama could go to LSU. A kid from Michigan State can go to Michigan. Ray, I'm going to start with you here. What do you think about that? Do you think it's okay that a kid can just transfer to a rival school at any point without any repercussions on him? I don't. Again, I'm not crazy about this rule. But, I mean, honestly, as long as the coaches are doing it fairly and they're not talking to the kids or they're not sending people to talk to the kids, then, I mean, if they want to go to a different school, then why, why really stop them, really? I mean, there's always the other side of the argument, you know, but I just think that, like, if you want to go to a different school, and as long as you're doing it because you want to do it, not again because some coach is in your ear or some recruiter or some alumni, as long as you're doing it for you and or your family, hopefully, I don't really have that big of a problem with it. My only issue with it is that Kids can be a little spiteful. They go to a school and they're like, oh, man, I didn't get a fair shake here. I wasn't able to start. And then they want to go to a school where they can show them up. So a kid from, again, we'll use Alabama as an example, decides, I'm going to go to Auburn. I'm going to show Alabama up. I'm going to go to Michigan State instead of Michigan. I'm going to show them up. I'm going to go to Notre Dame from Michigan because I want to show them up. I want to beat them on the fields. I want to go to UCLA other than USC. They're spiteful kids. Alan, do you think that there might be any negative side to this? Do you think that it's not okay for a player to be given any opportunity at any school? I would like to see maybe uh, maybe one of those, hey, if you're transferring from Alabama, you can't go to Auburn type deals. If you're at Michigan, you can't go. I would maybe like to see maybe the rivals, the true rivals held out of it. Mm-hmm. But I look at this rule overall as a little bit of excitement to college football because I look – I've been keeping up with NBA basketball, and it's been so exciting lately than, about free agency, about where LeBron's going to go and Paul George and you know so on and so forth. And you look at the NFL game, and there's – thanks to the franchise tag, there's no true free agency. And I think it's kind of made the NFL game just a little stale in the offseason. You know, not a – you never see a superstar switch teams. You never see because because at the end of your contract, they'll they'll franchise them a few years, and they always you know how exciting would it be if uh, if Bell from the Steelers has been wanting a contract forever? How you know how exciting would it have been if he would have signed with say the Forty ers You know just to, just to shake things up, and I think this could be a good thing for college football to add a little bit of excitement um, and at the downtime. 
when they're not playing games and, and a little intrigue here and there. So I think it could be a good thing overall. When I hear free agency, all I hear is money. If we're opening a free agency to college football, that's like saying you guys are professionals. You can choose to do what you want. You might as well get paid now again. And now that little debate on if, and if college football players should get some money, you know, get paid, compensated for whatever is going to be thrown out there even more. I don't like kids being treated like professionals. They're college football players. They are amateurs until they get that big paycheck. So, Alan, I respectfully uh, disagree with that aspect of it. I don't think it would make it more exciting. I think it would make it more professional, and it's not a professional sport. It's amateurs. How about if if the kid can only leave that school if that school gives him permission? Like, say a guy wants to leave Alabama or whoever, and he wants to go to the rival team, and they say, okay, well, this kid was given a fair shot, but he doesn't come to where maybe a family situation could be involved. Who knows? But if maybe if the if the team that he's leaving says, yeah, we give him permission, maybe that's a way to stop it from getting what you thought. You know what I mean? About it being like everybody, like like you said, I want to go to Michigan State instead of you know improve, show Michigan. And I, you know what I mean? This way, if the if the team he's leaving has to agree, maybe there won't be any hard feelings that way. I think this is making kids. I think it's making kids. It's too easy to just walk away for kids. You made a commitment. You should stick to your commitment. If you're so upset with I think it just ma- I think it's making our society a little weak to just allow these kids to make changes whenever they want. When when tough things happen, when controversy happens, the first sign is to run. I don't agree with that. I agree with what you said about commitment. You know that I believe that once you are committed to something, you're committed to it, and you just do what you do what you committed to do. Well, if you love this content, and I'm sure you do for all the listeners out there, please follow us on Twitter at Inside Hashes, Instagram, Inside the Hashes, and we have a Facebook group called Inside the Hashes Sports Talk. We have over 300 people in there just talking football. We have a lot of topics, uh, heavy debates. It's a lot of fun. But our last topic of the day is, besides for last week, we've been doing an NFL draft segment every week. We're back to the offensive side of the football. We got a little bit of a playmaking group here. We got the tight end group. I think this is a really high upside tight end group. Uh, We have a lot of guys who are maybe even slightly unproven at this point, but there's heavy potential. And I'm actually going to kick it off here with who I think are the two best tight ends in this class overall. Noah Fant from Iowa. If you haven't seen my interview with him, go check it out. Inside the Hashes podcast. I sat down with him. It was a great time. He's a great young man. 6'5", 241 pounds. Last year, on only 30 receptions, he had 494 yards, 11 touchdowns. He's an incredible athlete. It's said that he has a 42-inch vertical, 4'5 speed, high upside, and he also plays in an Iowa offense that demands blocking out of the tight end. So he has a high upside as a two-way tight end. And then perhaps the biggest upside guy of the entire class, this is a redshirt sophomore from Missouri, Albert Aquabonum. 6'5", 260, 29 catches for 415 yards last year, but again, 11 touchdowns. He's a raw prospect. He plays in that spread offense. He plays more like a big slot at this point, but there is obvious room to grow for him. And I would throw out a player comparison maybe to Jermaine Gresham, who was a star at Oklahoma, played with Cincinnati. He's been around a little bit. A little bit of a development in the run game, but he could split out wide. He can attack the middle of the defense. And I believe that Noah Fan and Albert Akubanam are the two best tight ends in the class. Alan, can you give me a couple guys to keep an eye on? Uh, Caden Smith from Stanford University. He's that classic Stanford tight end. 
big time recruit coming out. Been injured a little bit. Very interesting to see what he does this year. He's a he's got natural uh, hands as a catcher. He uses his body really well to defend, uh, to shield defenders and make the catches. Does a nice job adjusting to the throw. They put him out wide and he can be a mismatch at times. But I think one of the best things about him, he's a better blocker than anything else. He fires out with a good base, good hands inside, and fin- finishes through the whistle. So he's a guy that's pretty much a complete tight end. You can put him out wide, you can block, you can leave him at traditional tight end, he can do a lot of things for you. Then also have Caleb Wilson from UCLA. He's more of a, a long, rangy type tight end, 6'5", 235, kind of a thicker type receiver. Not your inline blocker, decent type, t- uh, top end speed with long stride. Pretty tough to tackle and uh, decent run blocker with great hands. Um, if he improves his run blocking, maybe puts on a little bit more muscle, he could be more of a traditional tight end. But right now, he's your, he's your flex out tight end, maybe your 11 personnel tight end. But he is a mismatch uh, in the past game. Well, I'm a huge fan of Caleb Wilson. If you haven't checked him out yet, 490 yards in only five games he played last year. He was a big weapon for Josh Rosen. I know he's coming back from an injury, so we'll see how he comes back. But a high upside player, like Alan said. Alan, my question for you, though, is Caden Smith – Big Stanford pipeline going on right now. We had Zach Ertz, Kobe Fleener, Levine Toilolo, Austin Hooper, all guys that have played in the NFL or are still playing in the NFL. Where does he rank in that class? Do you think he's near the top? Who do you think what do you think? What what physical skills that he has, he would rank towards the top. He just hasn't shown it enough on film because he's still a younger cat. Like I said, he's been injured a little bit, um, been banged up at times. So he's a guy that could really just break out this year um, kind of in the middle of nowhere and, and surprise some people so he could he could be one of those first round type tight ends if he does have a big year Ray can you give me a couple guys yeah well my first guy is a um and both of my guys that I'm gonna be talking about tonight are actually two of the more, more versatile tight ends are guys that can catch the ball and guys that can block in line I don't think either one of them are great inline blockers, but they both hold their own and can and do what they can for the run game. And the first one is um, C.J. Conrad from from Kentucky, 6'5", 245. Only caught 16 balls, but caught for, like, for almost 300 yards and really is, is a better receiver than people think. And, again, a good solid, solid blocker and a real good smart football player for Kentucky. And my other guy is um, Alizé Mack from Notre Dame. He's, uh, again, 6'4", 245, a guy who was a second tight end on Notre Dame last year, a good blocker, didn't get great. Notre Dame didn't get consistent quarterback play last year. I think that that probably hurt their tight ends a little bit because the quarterback was kind of like scrambling around a lot, trying to run the ball maybe a little bit too much when, when things would break down in front of him. And like Dorm Smythe, Dorm Smythe was a really good player and a good blocker and a, and a better receiver than I think people really gave him credit for. I think the same thing about Mac. I think he's going to be a good NFL player, and I'm looking for a big season from both of them. Well, I will say this. If I had a guy that I would kind of pinpoint to being the boomer bust prospect of the tight end class, it would be Alizé Mack. I think if Alizé Mack hits his top potential, he could potentially be the number one tight end in this class. Or he can keep doing what he's doing, and he could be a middling prospect who goes in the fourth round, fifth round, just be off of pure talent but not really production. But I think we can all agree that this tight end class is interesting. There's high upside. Very deep, very deep. Yeah. 
I'm a lot curious of, to see what Caleb Wilson's going to do with Chip Kelly um, calling the plays and running the offense for him. He could really break out. Definitely. Big slot for Chip Kelly in the offense. I think that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's his guy role usually. I will say this, guys. This is a little off the cuff. But we just saw a tight end class uh, last year who it was a little middling. Um, like I said before, we had Dallas Goddard. We had a couple guys like that. We had um, Mike Kosicki who went to the Miami. We had a you know a couple good prospects. We also had Hayden Hurst who uh, was from South Carolina that was drafted in the first round. Top, if we, if we these guys hit their potential, you think it's a better class this year or do you think it's a better class last year? Ray, what do you think? I think this class is a little bit deeper. I don't know. I you know I really like Goddard, and I love Gasicki's upside as far as athletic ability. Mm-hmm. And he, them two guys would be any you know probably right at the top of this list, right in the top four or five. Probably, probably I like I love Kelly Wilson from UCLA. I think as a pass catcher he could be a really really good player. Um, and he's been a little bit more consistent against Gasicki was catching the ball last year. I think. Mm-hmm. And he's been so far. And I love Goddard as, and his all-around ability. Then two guys would be, like, right here at the top of this list. But I just think there's way more depth this year than last year. Yeah. What do you think, Alan? Yeah, I would agree with that. If if these guys hit their potential, it's going to be a, a better class for sure. You know, I thought, I thought Gasecki and some of those guys were potential, you know, just potential was through the roof and still have a lot to work on in their game to become the player they wanted to be. Teams might have kind of reached a little bit for them. I want to say a second-round pick was a reach. Uh, I think these guys could be a, a much better group. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing just how they develop this year. I think Noah Fant specifically could be a big-time player, uh, but it's, it's, it's going to be remain to see. It's going to be awesome watching this class grow. But with that, this is going to end – our podcast for RPO podcast. I would just like to say again to the listeners, follow us on Twitter, inside hashes on Instagram at inside the hashes. We're also on Facebook, Facebook group inside the hashes sports talk next week. We're going to be digging into the big 10 to uh, continue our bracket busters. See if uh, any more uh, eighth seeds advance to the next round. But with that, this is Ryan Allen and Ray signing off with RPO podcast. Have a great night. Mm -hmm.